0: You know, we're, we're kind of starting this mini-series uh, in the middle of, of our other series, uh, the, the conversation room, I, the, the place where you come and have a one-on-one conversation with somebody. And it is impactful and memorable, and you will never, ever be the same once you leave that place. And so we're going to look at two stories of, of Jesus and his conversation with people that radically changed their lives and uh, one today and one next week, but uh, today we're going to look in John chapter three. Uh, I don't know about you. I don't know if you've had one of those conversations or not. I'm sure you've had. Uh, you have. You know. Sometimes it's a it's a conversation that you don't want to have. Maybe it's a, a conversation with a loved one about uh, um, drug abuse or alcohol abuse. Perhaps it's even uh, hearing news about uh, a loved one who has passed away or is on the verge of that. But sometimes there's those great conversations, those ones that are really just uh, lift your spirits. I think about a conversation that I had with with Patty um, in early March, about six years ago. And uh, it was just the two of us. We were in the snow-covered woods. We were sipping on hot chocolate, eating brownies around a, a nice campfire. And my heart was racing as I got down on one knee and asked her to marry me. And actually... Today marks our sixth year anniversary, and uh, so uh, praise the Lord, (laughs) but I think I'm going to have to give her a rain check for this one, huh? I don't know, but it was a conversation that changed my life, that changed the direction and course of my life and of her life, and John chapter 3 is a lot like that conversation. Uh, It's one that I would have loved to have been in on, one that I would have loved to have just kind of heard, you know, how they were talking and, and their tone and, and uh, the inflections in their voice. And uh, just, com- you really can't, in words alone, communicate what that must have been like. And uh, in this passage, Jesus speaks with a man named Nicodemus. And his message to Nicodemus is clear. He says that Nicodemus must empty himself in order to be a part of God's work, a part of God's plan, in order to be saved. Now today, we have the same challenge. In order to be a part of God's work, in order to experience His salvation, we have to empty ourselves. We have to give up what we value and hold up as excellent and worthy. But what does that mean? You know, when, when I think of empty, immediately really comes to mind the, the bad things, the the negative of empty. The primary one that I was thinking of was an empty refrigerator. and then, In the middle of the night, an empty refrigerator is not a good thing. But, but also an empty gas tank or, or emptiness or a lack of purpose in your own life. You, uh, perhaps loneliness or depression. But, but we forget that this idea of emptiness can also have good as well. It can even be an optimal thing, a thing that we look forward to. The garbage can, better empty than full, right? And the homework folder that you kids are going to be, you know, a couple, uh, I don't want to bring that up. but uh, It's good when it's empty, right? It means I don't have to do it. Husbands, your honey-do list, oh, never mind, that one's never empty. But, <laughs> but it's the idea of a, of a fresh start. A new beginning, a second chance, really an opportunity to have a clean slate. But the process of that, of emptying yourself, is is difficult. It's hard. It's not an easy thing. You know, you have to take out the trash in order to have an empty trash can. You have to do all your work at school. You have to clean out the garage in order to cross that off your list. But Jesus says that in order to see the kingdom of God, in order to be a part of His work, we must empty ourselves of what we think makes God happy, of what we think God wants from us. We have to empty ourselves of, of what we think God, God says. Sure, we're on the same page. We're okay. How do we get to that point? We have to empty ourselves. John 3, uh, we have this conversation recorded for us of, of just what that looks like to empty ourselves. And in verses 1 through 3, we're going to see that we must empty ourselves by acknowledging his authority. Let's look at verses 1 through 3 and read it together. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. It really sounds like a compliment, doesn't it? And look at how Jesus responds. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of God. I want to make sure I got that right. Here, Jesus makes a very forceful statement. His first words after Nicodemus comes in and says, Jesus, you're a great guy. We really appreciate what you've been doing. You're certainly from God because of all the things and signs that you've done. Wow, good job. Jesus says, Nicodemus, before we even get started here, before we start this conversation, I want to be very clear about this. Unless you're born again, a phrase that we're going to look at in a second, you can't be a part of God's kingdom. You can't be a part of God's work here, now on this earth, or in the future. Jesus was insinuating that Nicodemus had not done this, that he had not been born again, and therefore he would not see God's kingdom. Now, I don't know about you, but if you go up to somebody, a stranger on the street, somebody who even says, uh, maybe, uh, I hear you're a Christian. Good for you. That's that's really great. And you say to them, look, before we even get started here, I just want you to know that you're not going to see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. You're not going to go to heaven unless you have a relationship with him. They'd be like, whoa, whoa, man, I was just just saying something nice, right? I was just trying to be friendly. And so Nicodemus uh, uh, kind of takes the back here. I mean, he's just, it's, it's a tough and brash statement that Jesus gives him. But for Nicodemus, it was even more offensive because Nicodemus was a Jewish man, first of all. He was a part of God's chosen people. His very existence as a Jewish person guaranteed in his mind that God was happy with him, that God was on his side, that he would be a part of God's kingdom when it came to earth. You know, if he really messed up, that's one thing, but as long as he was a good Jewish man, no problem. But it's not just that. Not only was he a Jewish man, but he was a Pharisee. And a religious teacher. Not only was he a part of God's chosen people, but he spent his entire life seeking to obey God at every step and in every way. In fact, the the Pharisees were so concerned about offending God that they took about ten steps back from that line and said, this is our line, we're not even going to go past it. They made their own rules about it just so there would be no way that they would offend God. They wanted to show just how dedicated they were to God. The problem is, they weren't listening to God's heart. They didn't even see with their own eyes when Jesus came as the promised Messiah that they had been waiting for. And you know what? They were building a case for themselves so that they could stand before God one day. Then there would be no doubt, I did my part. I've studied the scriptures, I've been a part of church, I've been going to Sunday school, no problem, small groups, I've been there, done that. And Jesus said, this man, you're not even going to see the kingdom of God. So he was a Jewish man, he was a Pharisee, but even in that community of Pharisees, he was an established and an honored authority. Verse 1 says he's a ruler of the Jews. And many people who study this and other passages gather the idea that he was an older man, a man with wealth and position and authority. And Jesus was literally attacking that authority. Jesus was saying all of that, all that you've ever lived for, all that you've ever done is not going to get you there. It's not going to get you to the kingdom of God. You're not going to have life in Christ or peace with God. And Nicodemus is shocked. This man, who is about 30 years old, is telling me that I'm not going to see the kingdom of God? (laughs) The nerve. Why was Jesus so brash with him? With so many others, Jesus is seen as being tender and loving and caring and understanding. And here in this passage, you almost see a rudeness toward Nicodemus, a disregard for his position and authority. Well, look at what Nicodemus says again in verse 2. He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a good teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. It sounds nice, right? But Jesus, he has a way of seeing right into the heart of the situation. If you look back at the end of chapter 2, Verse 23, he talks about, uh, John records how, how Jesus knew the hearts and intent of the people he was speaking to, and how some of those who saw his signs and were all excited about what God was doing, and wow, this is amazing, didn't really, Jesus didn't entrust himself to them. He didn't really go into it with them, because he knew their heart was not about him, it was about the signs. And Nicodemus here is attempting to pat Jesus on the back. He's attempting to say, You know, you're a good kid. God is using you, and we can tell. We can all see it, can't we? By all those signs and miracles you do for people? A Good job. You have a bright future, young man. You're one of us now. You've made it. I give you my stamp of approval as a teacher of Israel. You're a man with knowledge. He was not attempting uh, to acknowledge that Jesus was from God in the sense that he has greater authority than Nicodemus. He was attempting to lift Jesus up to his level a little bit and say, good job, I affirm you, you're a great guy. And in reality, he was talking to Jesus. He was talking to the God of the universe, the one who made all things And he doesn't need Nicodemus' approval. And in order to be a part of God's kingdom, the one that Jesus, in his authority, was bringing, Nicodemus needed to empty himself of his own pride and his own authority, his own goodness and honor he had. Left out on her own, without Christ as our authority without Him as the King in our life, we come up very short. Romans chapter 1, verses 28 says, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, just as they did not see fit to acknowledge His authority in their lives, this is what happened on their own. God gave them over to a depraved mind, to those things which are not proper. Listen to this list. Being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, they are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. That's what we get without Him. And although they know the ordinance of God, although they know what God expects of them, what God asks of them, and even though they know that those consequences of not doing what God wants is worthy of death, it says in 32, verse 32, they not only do the same, but they give hearty approval to those who practice them. That's our future without acknowledging God as our authority. And you know what? For, for me, that's a scary place. Because all of our lives could be just like that. All of our lives could be filled with all kinds of, of wickedness and slander. And Wow. They know better. They know the result of what they're going to do, and they do it anyway. But before we get too hard on them... We do the same thing. We know, Rome, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. But what do we do? We do it anyway, don't we? You know, sometimes we have difficulty with that word authority. It kind of creeps us out. It sounds demanding and demeaning. But, you know, I, I would rather trust someone who is a real authority than someone who is faking it. When someone is said to be an authority on the subject, it means that they really know what they're talking about. They really know what they're doing. If I'm lost in the middle of the wilderness, if I'm up in the Adirondacks and my GPS is not working, as it never does, I'd rather that my authority would be a forest ranger who knows what he's doing, who knows how to survive, who knows how to get back, who knows the trails, than depend on, depend on the guy who's telling me, yeah, yeah, I know... I, I know we've been here before, but this time I'm right. This time I know we're not going to circle around. Matthew 28, 18, some of the last words that Jesus spoke to his disciples. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority. We need to recognize and acknowledge his authority for our lives. And you know, I, I don't think that Jesus was just ripping into Nicodemus just for fun. I don't think he was tearing him down because Nicodemus didn't know his place. He wasn't crushing the competition just so he could be the leader of the people of Israel. I think he was throwing him off guard. Nicodemus, he had come with an agenda. He had come with talking points. He had come with maybe a question or two, but one thing was sure, he was going to control the conversation. He was going to be in charge, and he was going to lead the way. But Jesus was more concerned with his well-being, with his eternity, and with his very soul. So Jesus cuts him off, and he cuts to the chase, and he says, Look, let's get down to the point here. You're not going to be able to see the kingdom of God. What? You know, we all have some sort of background, whether it's religious or whether you grew up in church or didn't. And I don't know what you're trusting in to make things right with God in the end. But Jesus challenges us to give up, to empty ourselves of any authority that we might think we have on our own and to trust in His authority. No matter what authority is speaking into your life, whether it's a religious instructor, a science book, or the TV, if they don't acknowledge Jesus as a greater authority than themselves, they have no voice in my life. I'm going to resist that. And Nicodemus was taken aback, and and now he was defensive. He would just given Jesus a compliment and assumed that Jesus would return the favor that he would say, wow, thank you, Nicodemus, I really appreciate that. I have so much respect for you and and for your friends and for your position. And that's not what happened. Let's continue in verses 4 through 8. Nicodemus said to him, after Jesus said, Most assuredly, without a doubt, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? How can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say unto you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He repeated himself, That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of Spirit is Spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Here Jesus emphasizes that we must empty ourselves by establishing a new beginning. Now uh, Nicodemus' reply to what Jesus said was, Jesus, that doesn't even make sense. How can you go back in time and come out again born that doesn't make sense it's not natural you know this is one of the times i really wish i could have heard his voice i wish i could have heard you know the inflection and the tone in his in his voice i don't know maybe he was being sarcastic maybe he was avoiding the issue maybe he was even confused But it's really easy to sidestep the issue when it gets personal. When Jesus confronts us with something, it's it's nicer to just kind of move out of the way. To say, I'm not even going to address that. I'm not even going to go there. It's too much. It's too hard. But Jesus continued in his insistence. He didn't let it go. He said, listen, let there be no doubt in your mind, the only way you will be a part of God's kingdom is if you are born again, born differently, if you have a new beginning. That word again can also be translated almost as, as further explanation of being born again, from above. He's saying you can't depend on your first birth. Your birth is as a Jewish man. Your birth as a part of the nation of Israel to get you into the into the life of the kingdom that gets you into a right relationship with God. You must have a beginning that comes from above, from heaven. And this new life, this new beginning, is in an unreachable place on your own. You won't be able to grasp it on your own. He says there's nothing special about your birth. Verse 6, that which is born of flesh is flesh. You're just like everyone else. But you have the choice to be born of the Spirit as well, to have a clean start, to rely on God's plan, Jesus. When he speaks of of born again by water and Spirit, he's speaking of the regeneration, the rebirth, the renewal that only comes from God, the water that uh, that is a cleansing that comes from repentance. It's related to that Old Testament cleansing. Before you come, before God, before you make a sacrifice, you need to be ceremonially cleansed before you can take that step. And Jesus is saying, this is a new way. This is a new start, a fresh start, a cleansing. He says, empty yourself. Go back to the beginning. Go unlearn all the things that you think you know, and start over. Be born of the Spirit. Have you ever seen those, those uh, clutter shows on TV? Where the house is just filled with stuff. And uh, it's, it's really a disaster. And it's a place that millions of Americans like to look at and say, at least my house isn't that bad, right? It gives us this sense of, I'm Okay. And every item that that person sees when they're driving down the road, and they see, oh, that'd be a great project. That'd be so much fun. They pick it up, they take it, and it ends up in the hallway, right? Undone. Left there. And every piece of well-intentioned exercise equipment, oh, yeah, I'll use that. I'll be using that every day, is used as a clothesline, and the clothes stay there. You've seen that, right? And then these specialists come in, and what do they do? They take everything out. They remove everything in order to get a fresh start. And then they try to build in some principles of good homeownership and general cleanliness. And they understand that you can't get it right without starting over again. You can keep moving things around in your life. You can keep trying to rearrange things in relationships and issues, but unless you empty yourself, unless you allow the Holy Spirit to start things over for you, to be born again, it's still a mess. We spend our lives building our career, our family, our way of life, We're proud of our accomplishments. We're proud of where we came from. We even include God in a major way, just like Nicodemus. But we've built our lives on the wrong foundation from the very beginning. And maybe life's not a complete disaster. Maybe things aren't completely out of control, but maybe it is. But even if it's not, in the light of eternity, we have the wrong foundation. We've missed that relationship with God. 1 Corinthians 3.11 says, For no man can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He is the foundation. And just then, in this conversation, it's like uh, there was a breeze that swept across the faces of Jesus and Nicodemus. As Jesus reminds Nicodemus that the Spirit's work is just like the wind. And it's interesting, in, in the Greek, in the original language, the word spirit and the word wind are kind of the same word, pneuma. And it has this idea of, of uh, they cross paths, the spirit, seeing the spirit's work. And Jesus uses that to say, it's not for you to control. Just like you can't control the wind, just like we can't control the storm that's coming tomorrow. It's not for us to control, but we sure do see the effects. We sure do see the results. You hear it. You see it. It's everywhere. And the one who is born of the Spirit, their experience is just like that. It's a powerful work in their lives, but it's not something that they manufacture. It's not something they control. It's a changing and transformation And in the end, the results are evident. You can see it. When a blind man who Jesus healed was being questioned harshly by the friends of Nicodemus, by other Pharisees, the man finally says, Look, I don't really know what's going on with this guy. I don't really know about Jesus. But this is one thing I know. I was blind, but now I see. I see. Wouldn't you be excited about that? And you can see in his whole demeanor, I don't know how it happened. I don't know what's going on. But I do know the results. I do know my life has been changed. Being born again is about coming to the end of ourselves, giving up, and starting over with Him as a foundation. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, the old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. That's the kind of life, that's the kind of birth that Jesus was talking about here. But Nicodemus was, was flabbergasted. Look at verse 9. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? What's going on? you got to be kidding me. I've worked and worked for all I have. I've sacrificed for God, and you're telling me I have to start over? Listen to his voice. He's finally getting it. You know, just a few verses ago, he's not even willing to address the issue. And then Jesus gets him to face himself. He's beginning to see his need. Let's see how Jesus finished out the conversation in verses 10 through 15. Jesus answered and said to him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and you do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you did not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and you did not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. A part of this emptying process is to cease from trusting ourselves and to turn to trust in a greater authority, Jesus. And in these verses, we realize that we must empty ourselves by trusting the one with vision the one who can see. You know, we're so limited in the scope of things, just like Nicodemus was. Jesus tells us the basics of true faith, and we can't even grasp it. We can't even understand it. And even though God's Word has revealed so much to us, we still don't get it sometimes. It's beyond our comprehension. Nicodemus, the one who taught the Old Testament, failed to understand the prophecies about the Messiah. He forgot that the Old Testament was filled with revelation about the healing that this Messiah, Christ, would one day bring. It was filled with the knowledge that trusting God for the things we don't see and, and don't excuse me, uh, being filled with that knowledge that trusting God for the things that we see and don't see is the only path to the kingdom into salvation. Think about the perspective in contrast that Jesus has. These verses tell us that he has knowledge into the heavenly plans of God. Not only that, but he is a key component in that plan. Let's see, who would I rather trust? The one who easily misses God's plan or the one who made the plan? My family and I were playing uh, Star Wars Legos on the Wii the other day. And uh, we were on a very challenging level. You know, it was one of those impossible tasks that we just just couldn't get beyond. And one of us was very frustrated. (laughs) We were stuck. We couldn't do it. It was beyond our ability to figure it out. Then the other of us said, (laughs) I can get you access to all the levels. You don't have to worry about this struggle but you have to trust me. Do you trust me? You know, we're going to have to quit this game, this progress that you think you've made, and we're going to have to go back to the beginning, and we're going to have to start on someone else's profile, someone who's completed all the levels, someone who wants you to enjoy all the benefits of the completed game. The question is, do you trust me to do it? And the other person said, But it's hard. I don't want to. I want to keep trying on my own. Do you trust me to get you beyond? And you know, that's really a limited perspective. But it gets to the heart of the passage. Do you trust me? Jesus declares, I am the only one who's come down from heaven. Have you? I'm the only one who understands what it takes to enter the kingdom of God. Do you? And then he goes further than that. He uses a story that Nicodemus would really know well from Israel's history. It's found in Numbers 21, 4 through 9. And I would encourage you to write that down, look it up, and read it later. But basically, the people of Israel threw off the confidence that they claimed to have in God. God had provided for them in miraculous ways, but they got tired of how and what He provided, and they decided not to trust Him anymore. Then the next thing you know, poisonous snakes. The Bible says fiery serpents went through the camp and poisoned the people, and many of them died. They realized that without God's provisions, they were stranded, they were desperate, they were struggling, So they turned back to God. And the Lord told Moses to make a bronze serpent and to put it up on a pole so that everyone in the camp would be able to see it. He gave them a way to demonstrate their trust. He said, if you look on this bronze serpent, you will live. He didn't tell them what would happen to those who didn't because the evidence was all around them. They were faced with a life and death situation. And Jesus takes this story and says, just like that, just like the bronze serpent, I will be lifted up. He said, I will be crucified. I will be put on the cross. I will be physically lifted into the air. He knew the plan, and he knew that it included the cross. But also, this idea of lifted up has has kind of a double meaning. Not only did he know he would be crucified, but this phrase also has the idea of of being glorified, of being honored, that he would be vindicated, that he would accomplish his plan, that there would be no doubt. And when the resurrection happened, wow, that plan came to fulfillment. He says, don't miss this. Here's the result, verse 15, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The snakes were a demonstration of what Jesus came to bring. Relationship with God. And you know, people smarter than me believe that this conversation ends with verse 15. And the following verses are are kind of John's summary and, and really his belting out of the gospel. But I just want to ask you, did, did the next verse sneak up on you? If you say, what verse? Then it did, but it's John 3.16. A clear declaration of God's plan and purpose through Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You know, Nicodemus' conversation with Jesus ended. And I don't know if he made a decision for Christ at that point or not, but he certainly left a changed man. He began to doubt his own authority. He began to understand that he needed to start again. He began to see that Jesus was was more than this label of teacher, that he was from God in a whole different way. He was God. And you can see this transformation take continue in John chapter 7, where Nicodemus begins to challenge others, begins to challenge the other Pharisees about their authority, about their condemnation of Jesus. And finally, in John nineteen thirty nine, at the burial of Jesus, after Jesus had been lifted up in that first way at the crucifixion, Nicodemus makes a bold move that reflects the change that took place in his heart. He identified himself as loyal to Jesus by helping to prepare the body for burial. He brought the spices. He brought, it says, 100 pounds of spices and, and ointments to anoint the body of Christ. And really, this is huge. As a Jewish Pharisee, he would never have thought about making... Himself ceremoniously unclean by touching a corpse. It was right before the Passover started. That was like the biggest no-no in the book. You don't do that as a Jew and as a Pharisee. But because of the cleansing that Jesus brought to his life, Nicodemus wasn't concerned with rituals. He wasn't concerned with ceremony. He had emptied himself of all of that because of the relationship that he had with the one who knew the plan. You know and I, I can't help but think of Paul. He had better credentials than Nicodemus. Yet this is his statement in Galatians 6:14 6, through 16. It says but may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither is circumcision, for neither is the Jew anything, or uncircumcision, the Gentile anything, but a new creation. And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon him and upon the Israel of God. He's saying, all I got is Jesus, and I'm new. I'm fresh. I got this new start. And anyone else who does this, they will be a new creation as well. And peace and mercy be upon them. The question is, will you believe? Is the Lord bringing you to a point of decision today? Maybe you've accepted Christ as your Savior. But sometimes we hold on to those things. We hold on to, to the things that were built on that other foundation. Is it time for us to say, no more. I'm going to trust His authority. I'm going to trust that He knows the plan. I'm going to trust that what I need is to be made new and fresh and have a fresh start. I think it's so amazing that God wants to do that in our lives. Today, right now. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today just like Nicodemus. Lord, so many times we uh, try to get around the issues that you bring right to our face. Lord, you speak to our heart. You speak into our life. Lord, I pray that we would listen and obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. if God is speaking to your heart this evening, afternoon, if He is just opening you up in a way that you've never been open before, if, if He's taking this conversation that He had with Nicodemus and saying, Look, it's you. You're trusting in the things that you do instead of trusting in Me. What an amazing day to come to Him to say, I'm yours. I'm emptying myself. I'm giving myself completely to you. If God is speaking to your heart about taking a step that maybe you haven't taken before, maybe it's baptism, maybe it's membership, maybe it's it's serving together with us, partnering together. Whatever it is, if He's speaking to your heart, don't leave today without addressing that, without Completing that without emptying yourself out before him and giving him all that you have and all that you are.